experiencing. And we thank God for his goodness and answered prayer. And uh, we're just trusting. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And, uh, but uh, uh, we're delighted that you came back tonight. And if your first time is tonight, we're definitely thankful that you decided to come. And I hope the message will speak to your heart and that the Spirit of God uh, will convict you if that's what you need, convert you if that's what you need, and uh, just help you to be all that He would have you to be. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in a word of prayer before we look into the Word of God. Dear Father, without you we can do nothing. We're just flesh, but we thank you for your Holy Spirit which lives within us. And you and you alone are able and capable of helping us to be all that we should be for you. We ask you, Lord, now to bless each person who has come. Speak to all of our hearts, starting with the one who is in the pulpit tonight. I pray that you'll speak to my heart, uh, that I'll be able to articulate what you've laid on my heart to preach to all of us tonight and that the Holy Spirit of God will bear witness with the Word of God, and will thank you for all that you will accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. And uh, if you didn't get one of these handouts, I, I, I just raise your hand and we'll get you one. The ushers are back there. To hold your hand up so they can see you, and then he'll make sure that you get one. And you can fill it out or not. It's up to you. Uh, but it'll help you keep track of the message and keep track of where we're going tonight. And uh, so I hope you'll go with me as we take a little trip in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and He's speaking to some religious men, uh, some guys who wore the costumes of religiosity and who uh, pretended to be spiritually above everybody else and uh, and he saw right through to their heart and he said this in verse one he said take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them otherwise ye have no reward of your father which is in heaven he said therefore when thou doest thine alms do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men." Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, I've titled this message something that may sound offensive to you, and that is hypocrites in the church. I wonder if I asked the question tonight, and you were honest before God tonight, and I won't ask you to do this, but you would raise your hand and say, yep, 
I'm a hypocrite sometimes. I'm not always what I appear to be or what I want others to think me to be. And uh, so we often hear people excuse themselves uh, for not coming to church because they say there's too many hypocrites in the church. Now it's okay that they go to work every day and work with a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, they They don't stop going to work because they get a paycheck. But they'll go to work with all those hypocrites every day. But they'll condemn the hypocrites in the church. And by the way, let me be the first to say that there are a bunch of hypocrites in the church. In fact, there isn't a person in the, under this tent who is not in some way or another hypocritical. And by hypocritical, I mean this. Here's what the Bible says, or I'm sorry, here's what the dictionary says about a, a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a person who acts or lives in contradiction of their stated beliefs. In other words, you say I believe, but I don't act accordance, in accordance with what I say I believe. And I believe there are people in, under this tent tonight who uh, really do believe some things, but they don't practice what they believe. And therefore, they're hypocrites. Uh, maybe it's you. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit of God is pointing its finger at your heart tonight. And so it is true there are hypocrites in the church. Hopefully, if you are hypocritical about something, at least you're honest enough with God to admit it and to do something about it. Amen. And that's what this message is all about. Now, over in Matthew chapter 20, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 23 and verse 28, Jesus again picks up this theme of hypocrites. And he says in verse 28, Even so ye also outwardly, appear righteous righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. He says, he's talking to a bunch of religious leaders, and he says, you say one thing and do another. You pretend to be close to God when you're far from Him and your hearts are far from Him. And uh, you pretend on the outside by the religious costume that you wear and the, and the long prayers that you make publicly in the public square uh, to be one thing, but God knows your heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is God, and He knew their hearts. Now, I'm not bold enough, and I'm not the Lord Jesus Christ, so I'm not going to look at you and point the figure and say, you are one of those hypocrites. But in all likelihood, I could do that with all honesty, but I can't see your hearts. I don't know what you say you believe, and whether or not you live up to what you say you believe. Now, it's funny, the same people who won't come to church because all the hypocrites in the church go over to Walmart or the grocery store, And they buy all kind of products that make all kind of claims about those products. And yet, you know before you buy it, those claims are a bunch of phony salesmanship techniques to get you to buy the product. And it's not going to do what they say it's going to do. But you still go there and you still buy the products. And uh, so that makes us hypocrites. Uh, And in the world, religion is a substitute for the gospel. Did you hear me? Most of the liturgical churches, if not all of them, 
practice a religion that has no spiritual depth. And it's all about their religiosity. It's not about their spirituality. And people will go to those churches. It doesn't matter how many hypocrites are sitting in those pews. They'll go to those churches because they'll never get convicted of the fact that maybe they need some good old-fashioned gospel preaching and some preaching from the Word of God to convict them and allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in their hearts. Say amen. amen. Now, in the church, we sometimes substitute pet phrases in prayer for a pretended spirituality. I've heard pe uh, people, including preachers, who pray out loud and they will pray repetitiously and use the same phrases over and over again. Every time you hear them pray, you know what they're going to say because you've heard it so many times. And it's just phraseology. It really has no depth of meaning anymore. We need to be careful that we don't fall into that kind of a trap. You know, where we just become repetitious in our religiosity instead of sincere uh, as we approach the throne of grace and pray using God's Holy Spirit, not just our personalities or our vocabularies. I've been a preacher a long time, and I know all the, the religious phrases, and I know the, the, um, uh, the right things to say at the right time and all the rest of that, but I constantly ask God to help me not to be hypocritical in what I preach or what I practice. I want to be all that God sees me to be. And that's what every one of us here should desire in the depths of our hearts tonight. Sometimes we substitute our own feelings and pretend that it's God Holy, God's Holy Spirit. Last night the altar was full here, and uh, I hope that it wasn't just because I made an appeal, but rather that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to your heart. You know, we go through the motions. We're fundamentalists. We're Baptists. We're Bible believers. We're no better in some cases than the, the religious Pharisees, you know, who wrapped their robes, robes around them and uh, tried to pretend to be spiritual when they're just going through the religious motions. Are, is that what you're doing tonight? Is that why you're here tonight? You're going through the motions instead of really in the depths of your, your heart? You're experiencing something from the, from the Holy Spirit of God, from the Word of God? We substitute religious legalism sometimes for Christ-centered conviction. You know, we say, as a Christian, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this, you should do this, and you should do that. And we kind of make up this, this creed that we supposedly believe we should live by, but it's just, it's just a matter of words to us. It's not the Holy Spirit of God. It's not the Word of God that that is the foundation of what we say. Uh, we substitute busyness for Bible study, for our prayer life, uh, for soul winning. We say, well, we just don't have time for that. We got time to watch TV. We got time to do this. You know, we are captivated in this age of social media and some of you are addicted to this. I think if evolution were true, brother, in the next several years, we'd, have, we'd evolve into a bunch of human beings with great big thumbs. 
I mean, we exercise them real well. Now, I'm not against social media. I'm not against technology. But don't let it be a substitute for what God wants you to do. And if you've got time to spend a lot of time on the computer and a lot of time on these devices, then you've got time for God. You just need, you, you've substituted the wrong thing for the right thing. And that's called hypocrisy. We may even substitute loyalty for the local church, to the local church for loyalty to God himself. In other words, you show up because you're expected to be there. Now, I hope you did expect the preacher to want you to be here tonight, and that's good. And I'm glad you're here because otherwise I'd be preaching to an empty tent. But I thank God that you're here, but I hope you're here for the right reason. Not because they're having a tent meeting, not because the preacher wants you to be here, but because God wants you to be here. Let's not be hypocritical, okay? And let's not look down our nose at others that we think are. Now, if any of the things I've just been talking about are true of you, then we are hypocrites and we need revival. By the way, let me give you a definition of the word revival that comes from the word itself. It's broken down into two sections. It's re and vibal, or re-envive. Re means again. Vibe means life. So it's life again, or new life. That's what revival is. We need an, an injection of new life in our spirituality. And we can get it through the word of God. Amen. And we can get it by a tent meeting like this. I am impressed. Let me just say this. I am impressed with the crowd tonight. Amen. And the fact they had, yeah, had to put up a few extra chairs, that's a good thing. Amen. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad the hypocrites are here. <laughs> Even if it's you and me. <laughs> uh, but let's resolve tonight not to be hypocrites and uh, quit trying to live the Christian life on our own steam and allow the Holy Spirit of God do something in our hearts. Now, this message is designed for one primary thing, and that is to separate the true from the false. Uh, to separate the saint living for God from those who are just pretending to go through the motions. Uh, somebody here will not receive the truth and get upset and get angry. I pastored a lot of years, and I'd preach a message, and I know God wanted me to preach that message. And all of a sudden, somebody get all bent out of shape over it. And instead of evaluating it and testing it in light of the Word of God, they got upset with me because of the way I presented the message or because of something I said in the message. And they decide they're not coming back to church. You know what you need to do? If you get upset with something tonight, why don't you just ask the Lord to convict you and ask the Holy Spirit of God to put you in line with His Word? You know, otherwise we're just playing a game here. So some will get angry. Uh, others will accept the truth and get revived, get new life, renew life. And that's what we want, renewed life in the spiritual sense. Now, we only get to live one life down here. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's a true statement. Now, in the years that God allows us to spend down here, the question is, are we spending that time wisely?
the clock is ticking on everybody's life in this, under this tent. I'm 85 years of age, and so the clock is ticking more loudly for me than probably for most of you here. But the fact of the matter is, the clock is still ticking. And I don't care whether you're a child or a teenager or an adult, uh, the clock is ticking, and sooner or later you're going to stand before God, and He's going to ask you why you did what you did while you were here with the time He allowed. You know, that's what the judgment seat of Christ is all going to be about. Ultimately, if you're saved, you're going to stand before him and give an account of what you did with the life that he gave you in Christ. Now, the choice is yours. Either you'll get upset and get angry tonight, or you'll allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart tonight. And uh, everything rises and falls upon your willingness to accept what God the Holy Spirit says to your heart. Yes, now we substitute, sometimes we substitute personality or our external countenance for true Bible spirituality. Are you with me? Now, when the Lord was looking to appoint David as his king, the king of Israel, he sent the prophet Samuel to a man named Jesse, to see which of his sons God would choose. He had seven sons. And so the first son that he presented to Samuel the prophet as the possible king of the nation of Israel, who, by the way, would be a, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, king of the world one day, uh, he brought this, his son Eliab. Now here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, here's what what Eliab the father did. He got his best-looking son. He got his son who was strong in physical countenance and beautiful to look upon. He had all the right attributes and so on and so forth. And here's what the Bible says. It says, The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. This is not about what he looks like or on the height of his stature. Now, I'm, I'm probably one of the shortest men under the tent tonight. Uh, people make fun of me sometimes because I'm short. But uh, I can have just as much as the Holy Spirit as the tallest guy here. And I, that's what I want for my life. And you can make all the fun you want of me. And if, if I took off my jacket here, you would see my countenance. And I'm somebody in my eyes not necessarily in God's eyes though and here's what uh, Samuel said he says don't look at his good looks don't look at his physical stature because I have refused him wow he says for the Lord seeth not as man seeth you can look at me and evaluate me any way you want but God sees the real me and uh He says, for a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so this dad called his other sons up, and one by one he presented them until he got down to the last son. He said, Samuel said, you got any other kids around here? He said, yeah, he got a little sheep herder. He's up in the hills tending the flock. He said, said, call him. And that was David. And God said, I'll take him. The least of the seven brothers externally. 
But God saw David's heart. Now, I don't know what kind of personality David had. I don't know a lot about David other than what the Bible says after he became king. I know he was weak in the flesh and he sinned against God. But God still called him a man after his own heart. Because he saw through the flesh, he saw the real heart of King David. Now, personality is okay. And I hope you have a, a nice and winning personality. But it's not a barometer of your spirituality. I had people in my churches, and I mean, if, you know, if there were Oscars given for personality, they would have gotten them. But if you examined their spiritual life, you'd realize that it was just external. There was nothing, there was no depth in their spirituality. Some preachers are gifted with terrific and powerful personalities and can move audiences. But at the same time, they have no real depth in their spiritual life. And some of them are living in sin, secretly. And we've seen, how many of you have ever heard of a preacher who went bad? Raise your hand. There was a preacher not too long ago that I was very close to. And in this general area. And uh, he, uh, man, he would make me feel bad sometimes. I... I'd go to his church to preach, and we'd go out uh, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon to eat, and we'd go into a diner or someplace, and, and uh, I'd order, and I'd say, Preacher, what are you, you going to order anything? And he'd say, No, I'm fasting. I thought, Man, I, maybe I shouldn't take, you know, order anything. My wife would say, Order it anyway. And uh, so, and this man always ha seemed to have that aura of spirituality and he was always talking about his closeness to God and and uh, but I found out later that he was nothing but a crook and he stole over three hundred thousand dollars of the people's money out of the church that he pastored while he's pretending to be Mr. Spiritual I wanted to put him in jail I became the the uh, kind of the interim pastor after they found out about him and exposed him and he left the church. And I wanted to put him in jail and I, I, I met with the men of, of the church, the leaders of the church, and I said, you know, I said, uh, you want me to come here and be the, the interim pastor? I said, uh, I recommend that we file official charges. And this, uh, one of the men said this, he said, oh no, believers aren't supposed to go to law against one another. I said, this is grand larceny. This isn't some church, inner church problem. I said, this is grand larceny. This man believe, belongs in jail with the rest of the crooks and the murderers and all the rest of it. By the way, I said, if, if this man murdered your son, would you want to prosecute him? Would you want to see him go to jail? Would you want to see uh, them take his life? I said, I'll bet you would. But he stopped the church from prosecuting this man. And this man, this preacher, this crook, went down south and, started, and, and took the uh, pastorship of another church. So he'll repeat his sins in that other church. Hello. I had an assistant pastor who got involved with a young lady. I mean, he was my closest friend in the church. But he got involved with a young lady and and got into some uh, uh, immoral relationship, and, 
and uh, the young lady got pregnant, and they together had an abortion. That's murder. I said, that's murder. I'm not going to be politically correct tonight. It's murder. In 18 days, that little person inside a woman, the heartbeat is evident. The nervous system has already been getting to develop. You can't tell me that's just a blob of tissue. That's a person. And woe be to the doctors and those who are in politics who are so-called pro-choice. Uh, what I want to know is, what are they pro-choice about? I'll tell you what they're pro-choice about. They're pro-choice about murdering innocent babies. And God will not hold them guiltless who sheds innocent blood, the Bible says. You can't get more innocent than an unborn baby. Now, in Virginia, they even want to kill the baby after it's born. It's a decision that the mother and the physician make together. No, it isn't. God says it's murder. And it's murder in the womb or out of the womb. It's about time Christians stood up for what God says in the Word of God. Don't be politically correct. Just tell it like it is. Now, you know, and, and by the way, this is not restricted to preachers, uh, but believers in general. If that, those two preachers I just talked about, that was wicked stuff they did. One was a murderer, one was a thief. And God has something to say about murderers and thieves. And uh, if we go by the Bible, we know what the penalty should be. But we live in a society who doesn't want to go by any rules of the Scripture. They don't even want to go by the rules of the land or the Constitution of the United States of America. May I say something? And you may not like it, but I'm going to say it anyway. This next election is critical. I said last night that our nation's future is not dependent on the, the ballot box, but I can tell you this, America's headed in the wrong direction. And we've already bought into a system of socialism and, and extreme uh, thinking, and we, those people look at this country as if it's a democracy, but they need to read our founding documents and find out it's a republic! It's not, a democracy is mob rule. The, the, the largest number uh, gets their way. No, that's not what the Constitution, our freedom documents are all about. Boy, it's getting quiet in here, isn't it? Now, some saints don't have outgoing personalities and are not the kind of people you like to be around, perhaps, but they may be spirit-filled children of God. They're not hypocrites. They believe and practice what they say they believe. You're, you don't hang around with them because they're kind of not your personality that you want to interact with. By the way, let me just say this. I'm always delighted when I'm invited to this church. I love the people in this church. We get along. I feel comfortable in the pulpit here. I may, you know, I may be losing it. No, I've already lost a lot. But uh, uh, I may be losing it, but I, I still love to preach here. And I love the people here. Uh, I think you're genuine. I think that you really want to do right. Now, I'm not saying there are no hypocrites here. In fact, I'm preaching about hypocrites in the church. And we've got some here. 
that doesn't exclude the fact that God can use even the hypocrites in the church. If that were the case, he'd have stopped using me a long time ago. And you too, by the way. So my question is, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you one of those hypocrites in the church? We substitute a lot of things. We, for example, we substitute friendliness for love. And I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3, if you would please. 1 John chapter 3. And uh, go back there beyond uh, Hebrews and Peter. In 1 John chapter 3, and uh, it says this in uh, verses 16 to 18. 1 John 3, verse 16. It says, love not, uh, verse, I'm sorry, yeah, go to verse 15. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa. Man, that convicts a lot of people, even in this room, in this, under this tent. He says uh, in verse 16, For all that is in the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. We live in a, a visual society where TV is everywhere, phones are everywhere, uh, computers are everywhere. It says, For all is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. You say you love God, then you can't love the world. God says they're on opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum. And if you love one, you can't love the other. When I was preparing this message, I thought, you know what? That's a convicting passage of Scripture. Because there are some things in this world I like. I love fishing. <laughs> but that's not the kind of worldliness that he's talking about. He's saying if you love the attitude of the world, if you love the, the direction the world is going in, if you love the the tastes and the ambitions and the policies of this world, then you can't be wholly in love with God and the things of the Spirit of God. So the world knows nothing of true love. Did you hear me? The world doesn't know anything about what the Bible talks about when it talks about love. And false friendship is based on material things. And so... Uh, Maybe you love somebody because of the way they treat you. I've, I've got some good friends in this church. I had someone walk up to me tonight and hand me a bag. And uh, I've got eight blockages in the vessels going to my heart. And I have a stent. It's the only thing that is open and keeping the blood going and pumping my heart. And uh, the person who gave me this said, this is good for your heart. <laughs> it's dark chocolate. And I love it. I don't think that's what this passage is about, by the way. But friendship, real friendship, is based on feelings and emotions. Gush, not real love. Maybe you love somebody just because of what they give you. Or because what they can contribute to your life. But that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about true love. But sometimes the unsaved outshine the Christian 
in exhibiting real concern and compassion for others. That's true love. If you see somebody have a need, you ought to do what you can as a child of God to meet that need. By the way, this is the eatingest church on the East Coast. Maybe on all of America, I'm not sure, but every time I come here, they're feeding me. And uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to get to the place where it shouldn't matter what we get. We need to give. I don't come here to, to eat. I come here, hopefully, to feed people from the Word of God and to challenge each person here not to be hypocritical. And the believer is to manifest true love for the brethren. Over in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this, A new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. You look around this tent, and you're a part of this church, First Baptist, and thank God for the visitors as well, but if you're a part of this church, and you look around, and there's some people you can't stand, now I'm not saying you're going to have the same relationship with everybody, but if they're children of God, and you're a child of God, then God commands that we love them. And love is demonstrated by our attitude and our actions toward them. And we need to be careful, lest we become hypocritical in the way we treat each other. And we pretend on the outside that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know what the Bible says, but in actuality, there's some bitterness in our heart. We have some past memories about some things that happened to us in this church. And we can't forget it. We can't forgive it. And we hold that animosity in our hearts. Why don't you just get right with God? Why don't you love your brothers and sisters in Christ like Jesus said you need to do? He said, by this, your love for one another, shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Uh, by the way, this love is a witness to the lost that we are genuine. If they see us mistreat those of us who are a part of this church family, they're going to say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that crowd. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're right. There are hypocrites in the church. And maybe you're one of them. You need to evaluate in the light of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit whether or not you have true love for the brethren. You know, believers are guilty of expressing a fictitious love and a so-called friendly spirit, but they're insincere in their heart. I've been guilty of that. I pastored a lot of people in my day. And there were certain people that I kind of tended to avoid. You say, preacher, you're the pastor. You're, uh, you, know, you, you should love everybody equally. Yeah, but you know, some personality is kind of great on you. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, you know, we can shake hands. And uh, Do you still have that where you shake hands with everybody during the service? You know, I just had somebody this past week tell me, I really hate that. I said, really? <laughs> Yeah, we do it in our church all the time, and you do it here. And uh, you say, well, yeah, but look at all the germs. 
No, the Lord says, express our love one to another. But when you're going around and you're shaking hands with people, by the way, if you have a problem with the germs, keep a little of that sanitary lotion in your pocketbook or somewhere. As soon as you're done with all the shaking hands, use that. But it's really about your heart attitude. And you're shaking hands and you're expressing friendship. Are you a hypocrite? You really have animosity in your heart toward that person you just shook hands with? What kind of hypocrites do we have in our church? You know, it's not easy to love some Christians. <laughs> I'm looking at some of you right now. No, you're looking at me and it's not easy to love a preacher who's pointing out your problems and your sin. But you need to ask the Holy Spirit of God for help. Second time I'm asking, how you doing? So far, how you doing? Uh, do we substitute friendliness for Bible love? Uh, number three, do we substitute vagueness for truth? Uh, turn in your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Everybody use your Bible tonight, will you please? Don't be a hypocrite. You came here, this is a Bible preaching opportunity here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, I want you to go to verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, nor neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. I've never been a mother. I never will be a mother. But I would, I've been a father. But I still have never gone to the depths of a mother's love toward her children. A father's love is different. Fathers ha dads have different relationship with their kids than moms do. I, I don't know who it was. I don't remember the circumstances. But last night, I saw a mom. This was after the service. A mother was sitting, and she had two little girls. And the little girls went behind her. The first thing she did was look around to make sure they were okay. A dad wouldn't bother him at all. <laughs> Let the kids go do, do their thing, you know. But there's something special. And by the way, that's all the way it ought to be among believers. We ought to look out for one another. Uh, and we dare not substitute vagueness for truth. We live in an age of political correctness. You can't call truth and things as they really are. You can't even use some words anymore. They've been banned by the politically correct crowd. Uh, so it has infiltrated the church, and we preach a watered-down message, not a, not a social gospel, although there's definitely a social aspect to the gospel. And, and by that I mean, if we are a gospel-preaching church, and we love the Lord like we're supposed to, we ought to reach out to others and try to be a blessing and so there is a social aspect to the preaching of the gospel. But we minister primarily to souls, not bodies. 
Now, preachers often preach against sin, but they dare not name specific sins. And you know what that is? That's compromise. That's political correctness. That's not Bible preaching. You know, it's easy to lower the banner just a little and fail to be specific, literal, not literal, and not dogmatic in our preaching. Um, True Bible preaching calls sin, sin. Calls sin by its real nature. They're not gay. They're sodomites. That's what the Bible says. They're an abomination to God. Gay? No, they've stolen that word. Used to have a, a good meaning to that word. It meant a person who was happy in their environment and, and they were loving life and enjoying things. And now it means somebody who's queer, who's a lesbian. By the way, how come we can't call them queer? They call each other queer. Political correctness. And it, it infiltrates into the church. They're not homosexuals. According to the Bible, they're reprobates. And they're an abomination to God. By the way, God uses the term abomination very sparingly in the Bible. To the most heinous and hated sins between Him and humanity. When He says abomination, it's serious stuff. Uh, You know, they're not alcoholics, they're drunks. It's not a disease, it's something they chose to do. Don't tell me a drunk has a disease of drunkenness. No, he doesn't. There's no such animal. Uh, They're not abusing a controlled substance. They're drug addicts. They're dope heads. And that's not a disease either. It's something that they've chosen to do. We need to tell it like it is. It isn't sexy. It's sinful. I walked into a Walmart. I don't know whether I said this last night or not, but not a Walmart, a Wawa. I walked into the Wawa to get a cup of coffee, and right behind me, no, as I was leaving the Wawa, right behind me comes in a woman in a bikini. In a bikini. That's bad enough on the beach, let alone in a Wawa where you're out in public. By the way, it's nakedness. It's not just sexy, it's nakedness. They're not being unfaithful, they're committing adultery. Uh, They're not just sleeping around, they're fornicating. Let's tell it like it is. And if we are not hypocrites, we'll take a stand on what the Bible says, not just be politically correct. Somebody needs to say amen right about here. It isn't eroticism, it's pornography. It isn't R-rated, it's filth. Because sin is still sin. Or as Paul says in a King James Bible, and only in a King James Bible in English, he says it's dung. You know what dung is? If you're a farmer, you know what dung is because you may have stepped in it. The King James Bible tells it like it is. If you look at the NIV or the XYZ or the PDQ or whatever version they've got out on the market now, you'll find out they never use that word dung. It's just 
dirty. It's trash. No, it's dung. It's manure. That's what God says. You say, I don't like your preaching. I don't like your attitude. And God doesn't like our sin. You know, changing the labels doesn't change the nature. And when you get revived, you'll get 2020 Bible vision. When you get that new life that God wants to infuse into you tonight, you'll see things like they really are. And you'll tell it like it is. You know, the world says tell it like it is, but if you do, you're going to go to jail. It is, it, isn't it bigoted to call out religion as a damnable heresy, as the Bible does, and idolatry, as the Bible does? Yeah, if that's the case, I'm a bigot. Call me what you want. But I'm not going to be politically correct, and I'm not going to be vague when I preach. You're going to know what I'm talking about. And you need to evaluate your life in relation to the Word of God. Don't paint things as black and white. Speak as if they're in the twilight zone. Tickle men's ears. Pat them on the back. That's the present day philosophy. Make them feel good. The offering will be better. Yeah. And there are some preachers who base their preaching upon the response of the congregation instead of the response of God Almighty and His Holy Spirit. Amen. As a preacher, I need to speak the truth in love, even when it hurts me or you. Even when it hurts me or you. Now, when I counsel people, are you listening? When I counsel people, I don't want them to expect to be buttered up. I expect them to want me to tell them the truth as it is in the scriptures. Well, I'll leave the church. That pastor has a bad attitude. Who does he think he is? Some kind of a dictator? How many times have I heard that said? <laughs> no, I'm not a dictator. I just want to tell it like the Bible says it is. And like I'm supposed and commanded to tell it like it is. You say, well, I've got a problem with this pastor. Well, you're not the only one. Check with his wife. She'll tell it like it is. Well, she might be politically correct and not tell you, but the fact of the matter is, we substitute all of these things for genuine spirituality and Bible truth, and we don't want to line up our, our lives in line with, with the Scripture. And the reason why we get mad at the preacher sometimes is because he rubs us the wrong way. Well, then you need to turn around. Hello. You say, well, I don't like his preaching. He doesn't like your living. You say, well, I'll not go back to that church. Uh, 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 I'll find another church where, they don't, where the preacher doesn't preach it like that. Go ahead. You want to be a liberal? Help yourself. It's a free country. You can go where you please. There's, there are some empty pews in this church and in every fundamental gospel preaching church that used to be filled by people who loved the Lord and who wanted to be there where they could hear the Word of God preached. But now they're not here. 
they got rubbed the wrong way. And they're too prideful to admit they're partly to blame. It's all the preacher's fault. No, maybe you ought to look in your heart and find out if most of it was your fault. <laughs> Boy, it's getting quiet in here. Lastly, we substitute ritualism for Holy Spirit power. In first, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists 20 different things which will occur in the last days. And by the way, we're there. You say, you really believe the rapture could happen any minute? I don't know anything that's preventing it. In fact, things are getting waxing worse and worse, so that makes me expect that he's going to come back and set things right. And you won't be able to just leave the church. Because he can't be accused of hypocrisy. Because he is truth. I am the way, the truth, he said, and the life. Now, so Paul concludes after listing 20 things that will occur in the last days, right now, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And instead of turning away, a lot of so-called Christians who maybe used to have a testimony, who used to be used of God, they, they just go a different direction. They can't handle the truth. They won't let the Holy Spirit of God convict them. And, and by the way, um, if the pastor and you are at odds, why don't you be man enough or woman enough, sit down with him, and let him open the scriptures and show you where he's coming from. You coward. You fool. One of these days you're going to stand before God and he's going to show it like it really is and you'll say, Oh Lord, it's too late, but I'm sorry. That won't help the church. That won't help the cause of Christ. That won't help getting the gospel out. Now, let me give you a little principle. Liturgy and ritual in a church are substitutes for God and His Word. In other words, here, here's, a little, here's a little ditty you ought to commit to memory. Uh, the more ritual, the less Bible. If there's a pulpit over here where they read the Scriptures, and another pulpit over here where they preach, don't go to that church. The pulpit needs to be the center of the building, and it needs to be the focus of everything that goes on in the church. God ordained it that way. There's a geography about the church that you need to get acquainted with. It's easy to spot. Uh, these split chancels are a dead giveaway. Costumes and hocus-pocus in a pulpit is an abomination to God. If your preacher's wearing a costume, some kind of a get-up, like the Pope and the priests and the, the preachers around America, or no, not preachers, pastors, no, not pastors, just uh, men who are making a living off of religion. Uh, if, and by the way, now it's women who are also in the pulpits. We got a, we got a Presbyterian church in our area, and on the sign out, 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 sun, it, out front it has the, the preacher's name. 
Reverend Judy. When you see that, you need to run as far as you can the other direction. God never called a woman to preach, hello, or to be the pastor of a church. That doesn't mean she can't teach Sunday school. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have an opportunity to be with women and to to help women to, to grow in the things of God. But there are certain limits that the Bible sets down. By the way, even Bible preaching churches get in ruts. If in your services, when you sit down, you know exactly what's coming next, because that's what you do every single service, you need to change some things and get some life back in the church. Baptize before the service, not at the end. Make communion the center and focus of that Lord's table service, and don't just tack it on at the end as a P.S., Hello. Boy, things are, people are getting nervous here. Change your church calendar. Don't do the same thing every time that you did it the last time. It's, I, I knew a preacher, and it didn't matter if three people showed up, he was going to have a missions conference. And I would be the preacher. Because on the date, uh, on the calendar date, that's what you did every year. It didn't matter if anybody showed up. What, what kind of missions conference is that? Hey, we don't preach by a calendar. Some of us do. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are watching the clock all the time. This is one of the churches I know of doesn't have a clock that's visible. Now, he puts one on the pulpit inside, but he didn't even do that out here, so I guess I'm okay. Let me, let me finish this up real quick. Change when you sing. Change something so that it's not a humdrum, here we go again kind of a service. Do something, and, and by the way, there are some things you ought to repeat in every service, and uh, mainly Bible reading and preaching. I mean, that ought to be the, the, the focus of every service. But playing church is not a substitute for God's Holy Spirit. Uh, over in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, uh, that a disciplined mind is described, and it says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. Whatsoever things have virtue are a part and, and a, a practice in the Christian life. Think on those things. What we need in the church are disciplined minds to focus on what God puts first and not substitute it for something else. Find out what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Find out what God says and do that. We need to admit that there are hypocrites in the church. Maybe I rang your bell. No, maybe the Holy Spirit rang your bell tonight. Uh, maybe even admit that we are sometimes hypocritical in the way we live our Christian life. It isn't just others in the church. 
who are being hypocritical? I, I'll guarantee you, preacher, that this has took place tonight. When I was preaching about a hypocrite, somebody went, yeah, that's them. He nailed them. That's them. No, I wasn't aiming at them. I was aiming at you. And the Holy Spirit was aiming at you. Don't try to deflect what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. Maybe it's not just them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Why don't we just be honest for a change? Oh, lastly, and for the last time, how you doing? I don't expect a big altar call tonight. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that they're a hypocrite. But let's give an altar call where every one of us evaluate our lives in light of what was preached tonight. Let's let the Holy Spirit reveal whether or not we're hypocritical. You know, we're no better than the Pharisees and the scribes who wrapped their religious robes around them and looked down their nose at everybody else because they didn't measure up to their standards. What we do is we wrap our religious robes around us and we avoid finding out what God says we should do to, be, to avoid being a hypocrite in his church. Let's bow our hearts in prayer, please. Dear Father in heaven, I wasn't trying to convict anybody, but I hope the Holy Spirit of God was as I preach tonight. I pray that all of us will be honest with you and allow the Holy Spirit of God to do whatever it is that he wants to do in our lives. I include myself, Lord. I know better than any other person in this room. I have the same God, the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit as every other person does. And I've been guilty of some of the things I've been preaching tonight. And Lord, forgive me. Help me to be a better Christian. Help me to be more Christ-like. Help me to be more like you and like you expect me to be. And help me to live in tune with the Holy Ghost of God. And convict every heart in this, under this tent for whatever it is that the Holy Spirit said to them. And right now, may they take this moment to just get revived. To just get that new life that you want to infuse into their lives. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.